today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. They understood these graces of God that were being poured out and demonstrated in their lives. And because of that, the disciples, they grew closer. They committed deeper. They sought after the kingdom of God. They became more than just curious followers. They now moved into being disciples of the teachings and of the life of Jesus. And it's from this group of followers that turned into disciples that Jesus chose those twelve. Many crowds followed Jesus because of the miracles and wonders he performed. However, only a few sought after the Lord enough to be called his disciples. It was from this smaller group of disciples that Jesus chose the final twelve. Pastor David points out in today's message that there are different levels of intimacy with the Spirit. Though there is such a thing as common grace that everyone, even the wicked, enjoys, there is special grace reserved for those who are called to follow the Lord Jesus. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Haves and the Have-Nots. I think probably any of us, if we were thinking about numbers, we would probably agree that six is a low number. It's a small number, right? Right? Am I, you agree? Six is a low number, a small number. So in my short six decades of life, and so it's small, you've already agreed to that, short. In my six decades of life, I've come to the understanding that there are really two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. There are people who are exactly like me, and then there's all the rest of you, okay? Actually, I do want to talk about two kinds of people today. I want to talk about the haves and the have-nots. Now, a lot of times when we think of the haves and the have-nots, suddenly we start thinking, well, the haves are the ones that got the nice cars. They've got the nice houses. They've got the nice wardrobes. They've got the nice jobs. Or they've they've got the big bank accounts. The haves have it all. But that's not really where we're going this morning. It has absolutely nothing to do with the physical haves or have-nots. It has everything to do, though, with the spiritual haves or have-nots. You either have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, or you have not eternal life through Christ. There's no in-between. There's no kind of sort of there. I'm getting there, partially there. You are either in the kingdom of God or you are outside the kingdom of God. You either have or you have not eternal life. So that's what I want you to know this morning before you leave here is either you have it or you have not. Either one of those is, is a good place to be. The problem is, is for people who have no clue. 
They don't know whether they have eternal life or if they don't. They live all of their life wondering, well, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I don't know. But you know, according to God's word, you can know. And there's several different ways that you can know. And some of that we're going to look at this morning as we look at the haves and the have-nots. I invite you this morning to turn with me to the book of Luke. We've been going through the book of Luke. We are in chapter 6 this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. Give you a moment to get there. And he, speaking of Jesus, came down with them, and who's speaking about them are the apostles. Remember, we'll look at that in a moment. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with uh, unclean spirits. And they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. We're going to see at this point in time as we go through the gospel record that this is really kind of a a, a shift in the ministry of Jesus. It's that from this point on, he's got the 12 disciples. He's got the 12 guys that are traveling with him, the the 12 men that he has appointed as apostles. And we looked at that last week. And he's going to be still teaching to the multitudes. He's still going to be ministering to the needs of the multitudes that came and, 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 and clamored around him every time he would come into an area or a village. The multitudes would still be there. He would still be dealing with the diseases and the sicknesses and the demonic possessions. There would still be miracles of feeding the the 3,000 and the 5,000. Those would still happen. But more than anything else, Jesus is going to be pouring in to the lives of these 12 men. A few verses earlier in Luke, and last week as we looked at it, we, we saw that Jesus had been up in the mountain. He had prayed all night. He came down, and out of his disciples, apart from the multitude, he chose 12 men. Now, these disciples... They were part of the multitude, but they were a subgroup of the multitude. There was a vast multitude that had followed Jesus and were there every time that he would teach. But of that multitude, there was a much smaller group. Those were the ones that we would call and that the Word of God speaks of as disciples. You see, the difference is a disciple follows after the teaching desires to learn more of that teaching, whereas the multitudes just simply came to hear. It's not unlike church today, and not just our church, I believe any church. There's a multitude of people that may come to any particular service of any particular church. And among that multitude of people, there's a variety of reasons why they would come on that particular service. Some really come because they desire to hear the Word of God being poured into their life. They desire to grow in the things of God. Others just come, rather it be out of habit, because a, a spouse tells you you need to be there, or a parent needs tells you you need to be there. Whatever the case, they're, they're there. But they're not really and truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because a disciple of Jesus Christ is a changed life. We're going to look at that this morning. Those that got it were the disciples, much more than just the 12. No, there's a greater group beyond the 12 
that are disciples. And they get it. They understand. They desire the things of the kingdom. Not just a, a physical release from a temporary hunger or a sickness or a disease or even demonic possession. And there's no doubt that this subgroup of disciples... They probably experienced probably a healing or or a release from demonic activity. Perhaps in their lives, they had already seen a miracle of God. The same kind of things that were going on with the whole multitude. But for them, these disciples, they understood these graces of God that were being poured out and demonstrated in their lives. And because of that, the disciples, they grew closer. They committed deeper. They sought after the kingdom of God. They became more than just curious followers. They now moved into being disciples of the teachings and of the life of Jesus. And it's from this group of followers that turned into disciples that Jesus chose those 12. So you've got the 12, you've got the bigger group of disciples, and then you've got the multitude. Well, after choosing the 12 Jesus came down from the mountain, and Luke tells us that he came to a spot where he stood on a level place. And from that place, once again, he began to minister to that greater multitude of people. Luke very plainly tells us that the people had come from all over the surrounding regions, and for a variety of reasons. In verse 17, he says, "...they came to hear him to be healed of their diseases." "...as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed." And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Do you understand how powerful that is? The multitude that was there, that was seeking after Christ, for whatever reason, whatever the, the motivation, we see here there was a great healing that took place. And I believe it's pretty interesting to note that Jesus continues to heal and continues to minister to the multitudes. Even when the multitudes themselves actually showed no real and true commitment, no true faithfulness to his teachings, they came to be healed, they came to be delivered, and that's really all they wanted out of Christ. They sought to touch him because power came out from him and healed them all. But doesn't the word tell us that Jesus knew the hearts of all men? So even the multitude that was there, if you and I knew the hearts of all men, we might go around and say, okay, you I'll heal and you I'll heal, but no, not you and not you because I know your hearts. And oh yeah, you I'll heal, but not you and, and you. We, we'd, we'd pick through it, but not Jesus. So it was a compassion for all mankind that Jesus had and he demonstrated even as all of them were healed. Why would he allow those that were less than honorable, those that uh, were not truly disciples, why would they allow, why would he allow them to be recipients of that power and of that healing? I believe it's what's called common graces. The common graces of God that are poured out on all of humanity. Both those that love God as well as those that don't love him. They don't even acknowledge that there is God, and yet they still receive from the common graces of God. Jesus spoke about that very reality when he speaks, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain both to the righteous and the unrighteous. A lot of God's blessings are available to everyone, simply because he's a gracious and he's a kind God. 
And the Apostle Paul recognized that, and he gave us a good reason why God continues to do that. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Because of God's continued goodness, God's continued blessing, and people understand, no, he's not a wicked, he's not a mean God, he's not a vicious God, he's a caring God, and he loves And we're drawn to repentance because of that. That's why we as a church, uh, we we do a variety of ministries within the community. We do them throughout the year, not only in the community, but uh, but around the world. Social type ministries. We reach out to the population in general, not just to the Christian, not just to other churches, but to the population around us that we find ourselves in. We do that because they're, they're God's creation. And we have a responsibility as God's children to minister to the needs that are around us. But we also do it with the hope that within that work of these social ministries of feeding and clothing and ministering to certain needs, that in the midst of that, individuals might see that compassion of God, that common grace of God, the goodness of God, and be drawn to repentance. Luke tells us that Jesus healed them all. And yet we know that they weren't all disciples. And then we read, beginning in verse 20, how Jesus' attention then shifted from the multitudes, and he began to speak directly to that subgroup, that group of disciples, the twelve as well as the others, the subgroup. uh, Apart from the multitude, now he's speaking to the disciples and the apostles, those that were adherence to his teachings, those that that desired to, to grow in life with Christ, the ones that got it. These are the ones that have it. And Jesus' attention now turns to them. He began to teach them what it meant to be members of the kingdom of God. More than common grace, he now moves to those special graces that you and I receive as members of the kingdom of God. The teaching we find here in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20, is the same teaching, although it's worded different, that we also find in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this is Luke's version of it here. We begin reading in verse 20. And Luke tells us that he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. I I think we need to be really careful here and we need to take a pause for a moment. We need to understand really what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. He's not, let me tell you first what he's not saying, okay? He's not saying that if you are poor, or if you're hungry, or if you are in sorrow, you must be part of the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, when he says, if if people hate you, they exclude you. He's not saying that, well, if that's the case in your life, well, you must be a part of the kingdom. And you're going to gain great rewards because of that. No, there's a lot of people that are poor. There's a lot of people that that walk in sorrow. 
There's a lot of people that are hated and excluded that care absolutely nothing about God. They care absolutely nothing about his kingdom. As a matter of fact, many of them even curse God because of the situation that they find themselves in. That's not what he's speaking about here. There are people from every walk of life that go through tremendous sorrow, go through grief, and yet they never even begin to acknowledge God in their lives. I believe more than anything else, Jesus is speaking about the differences between the haves and the have-nots. Those who have the kingdom of God working and, and active in their lives, and those who do not have the kingdom of God truly working in their lives. For those who have the kingdom, they need to realize that their situation is temporary. For you and I who know the Lord who believe the Lord, who follow the Lord, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we need to understand, we need to be reminded on a continual basis. This is just temporary. No matter how bad it is, no matter how wretched the situation is, it's just temporary. For those who have the kingdom of God within them, those are the ones who are the true disciples of Christ, and they realize that this world is soon going to be done away with, and yet eternity for us is in the very presence of Christ. That's the hope that we have in him. Are you poor in relationship to the things of the world? Does this world leave, leave you hungry for something in your soul that the world could never and, and was never meant to satisfy? Do you see or have you experienced events or situations in the world in this mortal life that have left you broken, that have left you wounded, left you filled with sorrow? Do you want to take a stand for Christ? Do you want to be found walking in righteousness while the world around you laughs at you, mocks at you, scorns you, calls you a fool? Well, remember the words of the psalmist. It says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, you and I as believers, this is no longer really and truly our home. We are aliens here. We are in a foreign land. And the more you and I recognize that and accept that in our lives, the greater joy that can fill our lives, even in the midst of the turmoil and the junk that goes on in this world. To know and to understand, you know what? This is temporary. This is but for a moment. Glory awaits. Glory awaits. I think we need to be more heavenly minded. As I've shared with you before, it's not so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. No, I believe you can be so heavenly minded that you finally are of earthly good. Because again, you're not overwhelmed by the things of this world. Jesus understood and he taught the disciples. He says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But what did he say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That ought to be a positive thing for us in the midst of all the stuff that we go through. We will go through stuff. There's no doubt about it. As believers, we will go through situations just like the rest of the world. Some are going to go through poverty. Some are going to go through sicknesses. Some are going to go through turmoil within their life. But for the believer, we need to understand that our God is greater than all of these, and he is working a great plan all around us. In response to the situations that his disciples found themselves in, Jesus drew their attention away from that all-consuming temporary to the splendor and to the wonder, to the majesty and to the hope that's found in eternity, that eternal kingdom of God. 
He, and after that, after he spoke those things, then he turns his attention, I believe, to the have-nots, to those who don't possess the kingdom of God. Look at what it says in verse 24. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers in the false pro- or to the false prophets. Now, you, you, you do see the, the complete opposite of what he's saying here to, from the blesseds now to the woes. We see that, again, we need to be really careful in understanding what he's saying and what he's not saying. If you read this without understanding the context and the purpose of the teaching, you're going to come away with some pretty strange doctrines. You're going to come away with the fact that it's a sin to be rich. Jesus said it right there. Woe to you who are rich. Is it a sin to be rich? No, it's not. It is, depends upon how you use your riches. Uh, you would probably think that you should never have a full belly. As a matter of fact, he says, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. So that doesn't, you know, that, that means you sinned on Thanksgiving morning and you're getting ready to sin again on Christmas morning. That's not what he's speaking about. Oh, and some of you laughed. And you call yourself a Christian and you laugh? The the, the word says, woe to you who laugh now. (laughs) Woe to you. It's a sin? No, that's not what he's saying. Remember here, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to be a true disciple. And then he's comparing those that haven't with those who have not. Those who don't have the Lord in their lives. And if you find, I believe that what he's saying, that if you find your full satisfaction in the riches and in the resources and in the pleasures of this world, then you probably really don't have the kingdom of God living in you. If you can find your satisfaction in all the things that are temporary, then maybe really and truly there's a different spirit that lives in you. If you're looking more for the kudos and the applause of man than you care about pleasing Almighty God, then you really don't have the kingdom of God living in you. Because if the kingdom of God is abiding in you, you'll never be fully satisfied with the things of this world. Now, don't get me wrong. I I love my family. I love our time together. Man, it's such a blessing. But I understand those are only temporary. I love having good time and good fellowship with other believers. But I understand that's only temporary. I love being able to pay my bills. I love being able to put food on the table. And I love a good meal. But it's all temporary at best. I think it's why the Apostle Paul felt it was really important to tell the church, tell those who profess a belief in Christ, to examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Where's your focus? Where's, where's the purpose of your life? I believe that more than anything else, Jesus is speaking here. And after Jesus emphasizes the differences between the haves and the have-nots, He continues by telling those who have the kingdom already living in them how their walk ought to look, how their lives ought to be lived, and how their commitment to Him ought to be played out. 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.